Good morning. Welcome to the services here at La Prada Church of Christ. I hope that uh, each of you had a good weekend. Hopefully that's not outside when it's 110 degrees, but uh, hopefully it was enjoyable. I'd also like to take just a moment to, uh, to thank any of the visitors that we have with us this morning. We appreciate you choosing to meet with us, coming to worship God. Here at La Prada, we would kindly ask the concluding service, if you could, stick around for a couple of minutes, give us that opportunity to introduce ourselves, say hello, welcome you here to, uh, to our church family. You know, this morning, I want to take just a few minutes to talk about prayer. What prayer is? I'd like to start out this morning, I guess, with a passage, and then we'll get into some comments. If you want to read with me, it's going to be coming from the, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to have most of the verses that are utilized this morning on the PowerPoint. Feel free to read there as well. But again, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, and it reads, And we spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying, there was a, a city, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me, my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she will weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And said, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. You know, here Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He wants us to understand that regardless of the position we find ourselves in this life, where we're at, the good times, the bad times, that we need to pray. And after sharing the parable, Jesus tells them to consider what the unjust judge said and recognize that our God will avenge for his elect. When we cry unto him, he bears that with us. He encourages us to always take advantage of our opportunity. Truly a blessing we have to go to him in prayer. Now prayer. Have you ever thought about what prayer is? How does prayer work? You know, our whole life as Christians, we've been told to humbly bow ourselves in prayer to our Savior, our Lord, our God. But when we go to God in prayer, what does it do? What happens? What comes of us praying? Well, Scripture gives that to us. You see, when we go to God in prayer, First off, we need to recognize that it's at that time that we are entering the presence of God. Now, this in and of itself is a blessing that we have, that God's people have not always had. You see, in the Old Testament, believers either worshiped God in the tabernacle or the temple of Jerusalem. 
temple was arranged such that the people weren't ever in the presence of God. In the holy place, in the most holy place, and dividing that was a curtain. In that most holy place, in that most holy place, only the high priest could enter there. And he could only do so once a year. And this is how God's people approached him. But today, through the love of Jesus, we live under the New Testament, right? Scripture tells us in Matthew 27, verses 50 through 51, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake. And the rocks rent. Hebrews also tells us, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 10, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So when we read... When we read of this curtain being torn, we need to recognize that that curtain represents the body of Christ. Because Christ died on a cross, we are given the opportunity to enter into the most holy place, which is indeed the presence of our God, anytime we wish, through the avenue of prayer. So what is it to pray? What to pray means that we are to thank God. That's our opportunity to thank God. As we approach the presence of God, taking our worries, our concerns, to our Father in heaven, it's our opportunity to speak to God, to speak to our Father, for Him to hear us. Take Him our hurts. He's the Father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. It's our opportunity to reach out to our Redeemer, giving thanks for the many blessings that we enjoy in this life, most of which we never even take the time to consider. Talking about the small things that happen every day. They happen so often that we just assume that that's just the way it is. But yet it's not. Each one of those is a blessing from God. To pray is to come near God. You know what? Scripture shows us what God can do with all of his majesty and all of his power. I think sometimes we, we kind of contain God and his abilities based on our world and what we perceive as possible or impossible. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Now keep in mind, this is Sarah. Sarah's 90 years old. She's been told she's going to have a son. She kind of scoffs at it. She doesn't believe it. It's the Lord talking to Abraham, and it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son, and as we know, she did indeed. Consider Mary. The angel approached. Tells her she's going to have a child. It's going to be a virgin birth. It's going to be baby Jesus, the Son of God. Verse 37, it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Can we read further? Matthew 19, verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God 
all things are possible. You know, I suspect each of us here today would agree that God can do anything, right? We as believers know that he is the all-powerful, the all-knowing. Literally, he created everything that we see. He created us. He can do anything. But do we take that knowledge and apply it to our life? Do we recognize when something seems impossible in our life? Perhaps it is. But through God, all things are possible. There is not the impossible when it comes to God. You see, God has chosen to accomplish much of his will on this earth through the prayers and the supplication of his people, that's you and I. And God's people do many things through God who strengthens him. God strengthens us. And quickly, for a moment, consider, and this is just a small list, but consider, when Moses prayed, what happened? Turned back God's wrath. Jonah, when he prayed... The big fish spit him out. When Joshua prayed, the Jordan parted. David's enemies were destroyed how? When he prayed. We just, many of us went and saw Esther. What happens when Esther prays? Her people are saved. Samson prayed. He able to bring down the temple. The false prophets at Mount Carmel that Elisha dealt with when he prayed, they were destroyed. Again, these are just a few, just a small compilation of, of all the examples that Scripture gives us, showing repeatedly that our God answers prayers and that he can literally do anything. It doesn't matter how, how it may seem, God can do anything. We also need to keep in mind James chapter 4, verse 2. It says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and ye war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. How many of us does that affect this morning? I'd say the right answer is every one of us, right? We're instructed by God go to our Lord in prayer over our concerns, our desires, our needs, to give thanks for the many blessings that we receive. But when we fail to do it, as James says, when we ask not, we receive not. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8 says, Ask, and it shall be given ye. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. It's reiterated right there. You ask and you'll receive. You seek and you'll find. You knock and the doors are going to open. But when we fail to approach our Heavenly Father in prayer, what are we forgetting to do? We're forgetting to knock. And it's our not taking the time to put God first in our lives, be it through our problems that that we're going through or, or possibly the excitement of the successes that we have that are all gifts from God. 
when we choose not to put God first, when we choose not to go to God in prayer, the result is us missing out on blessings that we should have had. And our failure to pray means that we've chosen to go it alone. Make, make no, 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 no confusion there. When you choose not to pray, you're saying, I've got this, I don't need you, God. Choosing to go it alone. Rather than have faith that our God will take care of you and see you through both the good and the bad times. It's only through prayer that we can have the confidence and the comfort and knowing that it's okay. Regardless of where we find ourselves, it is okay. It is going to work out. And it's through our prayer that God intercedes in our lives on our behalf. Now, you know, when we started this morning, we read Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I want to go back for just a moment. Let's consider the question that Jesus poses here in 18, verse 8. It says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Jesus is asking, once he returns, will he find people praying to the Father, believing in prayer? Is he going to find that? See, failure to pray is why James wrote this to the believers, telling them that if, if you ask not, you'll receive not. This is a problem that's been around since the beginning of time. It's a problem that we have this morning. But it's not a problem that God wishes us to have. Because we're hurting ourselves by choosing to go it alone. You know, in general, I think there's really two things that prevent us from praying. Number one is Satan. Satan doesn't want us to pray. His goal is to separate us from our Creator, right? Sin separates us from God. Satan's desire is to separate us from our Father. He wants us to struggle with the stresses of life and take full credit for any accomplishments we have. His desire is for us to feel as though we are on our own. When we fail, there's nothing more. When we succeed, it's because of how great we are. That's his goal. That's what he desires for us. And in doing that, because the successes lead to arrogance or an inflated self-esteem, and the hard times lead to depression and negative thoughts and, and reduce self-value, self-esteem, it all works together to do what? To pull us away from our Father. Because neither of which is what our Lord desires for us, not a single person in this world. Now, what's the other thing that, that holds us back? See, I think that some just really don't understand the purpose of prayer. Despite what televangelists say, it doesn't mean that we are to have it our way, to live a prosperous life. Those are not guaranteed. But the purpose of prayer is to improve our lives while spreading the gospel and strengthening our personal relationship with God. And this all works together simultaneously to bring joy and love to our life, which our Father wants us to have. 
and he gave us the avenue of prayer. That blessing that our Father gave us called prayer is to find the comfort in our lives that this world sometimes can cover up. Our lives can lead us in a direction that we just, we miss the comfort that God has provided. From a congregational standpoint, what do you think would happen if, if each of us here this morning prayed as Scripture instructs us to pray? What do you think could happen right here at LaFrava? You know, the book of Acts, we read of a few things that happen when we pray as a church family. What we see is we, the congregation, become a family that is united as one. That's everyone. That requires investment from each of us. Now the church Luke describes in the book of Acts was without a doubt united. Matter of fact, the Greek word, I'm pronouncing it right, homo automaton, is used 12 times in that book. What does that, that word mean? What is the definition? The definition of that word is to be of one accord, to be on the same page. Twelve times it's used to describe this church in Acts. These brothers and sisters are all pursuing the same thing. Their hearts, their minds are focused in one direction. After a moment, let's consider the first recorded prayer of the early church. Kind of lead you up to the events of this prayer. At this point... John and Peter have been arrested. They've been thrown in jail because they healed a crippled man, been crippled from birth, the gate of the temple, healed him in Jesus' name, and that infuriated him. Put him in jail. So now they've, they've pulled him out of their cells, they've taken him before the Sanhedrin court. But keep in mind, this is all happening just weeks after they've, they've hung our Savior on a cross. So they just killed Jesus, and now you've got these two men healing crippled people, proclaiming it to be in Jesus' name. This does not go over well. They don't like it. They don't appreciate it. They bring them forward. And what is the question that they ask? They ask, by what name did you heal this man? And what was their response? It's at that time that Peter begins to tell them, you killed Jesus, the Son of God, and Jesus is the only way for you to attain salvation. Now you can imagine how this goes over. Consider for a moment. Peter and John know that Jesus was just crucified. They know what they've done. They've now been brought before this court. You've got Herod. You've got Pontius Pilate. You've got all those that were involved. And they're asking you how you healed this man. And these men boldly proclaim God's word to them. Now think about it if you're on the other side. You're sitting here looking at these two men. And there's a crippled man that you've known has been crippled since birth, and he's standing next to him. There's a lot of emotions tied up in this. 
on both sides, but Peter and John proclaimed God's word. They indeed weren't satisfied with it. However, they did let both Peter and John go and told them that they were to do that no more. And as we know in reading scripture that although they were threatened, they did not heed those threats. They went on doing as God had instructed. But getting back to the prayer. So this is all taking place. We come back to, to, the, to the prayer that's found in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 30. And it reads, Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God and with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand that thy counsel determined before to be done, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and the signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child, Jesus. Now notice, once Peter and John are released, where do they go? What do they do? They immediately go to church. Once at church, after sharing what's taken place with, with those that are in attendance, what is the church's response? The church's response is to immediately go to God in prayer. Congregational prayer. They started the prayer out by acknowledging God as the creator of all things. They speak of the Holy Spirit that moved through King David, which, which we can read about in Psalms, chapter 2. Then they ask, why do people plot against you in vain? Continuing to speak of King Herod and Pontius Pilate and those that were involved. Then they speak to the fact that God allowed it to happen as it should have been. They continued to address the fact that no matter how it looks or what occurs, God's always in control. But then the prayer moves to the threats that have been made. And to that, they ask God to grant them, Peter and John, boldness that they may speak the word. Pray for boldness. Now, quick question for you. If that had been us, what would we have prayed for? Today, if the powers that be were threatening us for sharing God's word, what would we petition God for? Would we ask him to keep us safe and protect us? Or would we ask for boldness to continue on? See, by praying for boldness, they're asking God... To work through them to share the gospel. To whatever extent that means. To work through them. And as they prayed. Acts 4 and verse 31. The next verse. Reads. And when they had prayed. The place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God. With boldness. It's important to recognize that everyone there 
was in one heart and one mind. One accord. They were united. The unity was there. And through God, the apostles continued after this to testify of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus for the remainder of their lives. But the church was united. You continue further, verses 32 through 35, it reads, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land and houses sold them, and brought the prices to the, of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Consider that unity. Not just one or two went and sold houses and belongings. All those that had took part in bringing it bringing it forward, placing it at the the apostles' feet. See, Scripture shows us that when the early church prayed, they became unified. They became as one in heart. And they were all part of the same family. And they were fully committed to God and His Word in doing so. They were all built up. Because God designed it that way. See, when we fervently prayed together, it brings about unity in the membership. And this is how the church congregation truly takes on the symmetry of an actual family. We are a church family. But do we live out being a part of that family? Or do we just proclaim that? You know, if we continue in the book of Acts, it shows us that the early church prayed for God to stretch out his hand and reveal his power. And we see it. If you read the book of Acts, we read of people being raised from the dead. We we see people being healed, the lame walking. We see demons being cast out of individuals. We also see them praying for how they should respond to persecution. We see angels break Peter out of prison. We see Paul and Silas singing and praying and prison bars shaking and the chains falling off. Our God can do all things. Just as he did then, he can do it and he does do it today. It's something else that we receive when we go to our Lord in prayer is guidance. Divine guidance. We read of that also. What did the church do to replace Judas? They went to God in prayer. They prayed for the needs of the widows. They prayed and asked God where Paul should be sent on his first missionary journey. This is the church, the united family, this congregation. The church was praying for these things. 
You see, it was through them making these requests known to God that they were given divine guidance. And God led them right down the path they needed to be on. See, Scripture consistently shows God's children coming to Him for guidance over and over again. But you know what else it shows? It shows that God provides them the guidance needed and that they are taken care of. But where did all that start? That all started with prayer. Taking it before our Lord and Savior. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 17 reads, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. See, God our Father, He loves us, He cares about us, and that's each and every one of us, that's everyone in this world. And he's given us the avenue of prayer to approach him because he can move all stumbling blocks in our lives. But we have to ask him. He can move those heavy loads in our marriage, in our job, our family, our church. God can do that, but we must humbly approach him in prayer and ask. You know, many times in the lives we lead, I think, you know, our lives are hectic. We've all got more going on than than we've got time to take care of. Much of it is by our own design, but there's a lot of it that isn't by our own design. But it's responsibility. But in doing that, I I do believe our intentions are sincere as Christians. I, I often think we feel as though our hearts are in the right spot. But yet, when we're faced with challenges or decisions, we choose to internalize it. We choose to make it ours. And in doing that, and attempting to work it out on our own, we're doing exactly what Scripture tells us over and over again not to do. The Lord never desired for us to do this alone. Actually, he opposes it over and over and over. He consistently teaches and gives examples one after another of of us supposed to go to him in prayer for all things. That is God's way. That's what he intended for us. Because he intended for us to live lives where we know we're loved, lives of comfort, lives with joy. Lives with family, church family. That's his desire. Consider 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. It says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So clearly we're instructed here to pray without ceasing. Strong's defines praying without ceasing as uninterrupted or without omission. So tell me, how does that work in your life? Are we knocking that out, praying without ceasing? You know, some would say that it's not possible to pray at all times and, and still function in life as we do. We've all got jobs, we've got school. How do we accomplish this? You know, perhaps that's true depending on how you view prayer. But what we can do is give thought to our Father 
all throughout the day. You say, well, how do we do that? By giving him continuous thanks each and every blessing that we recognize. Well, what are these blessings? How about the blessing of waking up and drawing breath? The blessing of having a house and clothes? The blessing of having a job, having colleagues at work? How about the blessing of the church family? This list could go on and on. They happen every single moment that we live. And if we are consistently giving God thanks, if we take just a moment to thank God for that blessing we received, guess what? You put all that together over the course of the day and you pray without ceasing because these blessings are everywhere. Everything we do, everything we have is a gift from God and it's all worthy of praising God and giving thanks. And see, by striving to accomplish this, then at that point we were doing as we are doing as God intended us to do through prayer. See, we draw closer to and we build a relationship with Him, and that provides us the confidence needed to take comfort in knowing that it doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter the challenges that we face, it's all gonna be okay. Keep smiling, keep walking, it's gonna work out. Because God's gonna see us through. This allows us to keep a positive outlook about our life, about our worth, about our self-image. Well, why is that? It's because when we do have something bad happen to us, when we do have a bad day, the reality is what comes to our attention is what we thought about most, and that's the fact that everything in our day is a blessing. So those bad things are outweighed and outnumbered by all the good that is around us at all times. And why is it around us? Why do we have that? Because God loves us. That is why God intended for us to pray. And he gave us this awesome opportunity to approach him and his presence any time that we want. If we choose to ask him. Then when we have the opportunity to pray as a congregation, make no mistake, that prayer bringing us into the presence of God. We need to focus intently on the words that are being lifted up, not just listening, not just going along, but actually engaging in that prayer. Scripture shows that that in and of itself brings unity. That brings about the family unit that God wants us to have. That prayer matters. And it's our opportunity to strengthen not only our congregation, but strengthen our walk with God as we petition him to assist us in strengthening his kingdom. So that we as his servants can ask for his intercession in our lives and the lives of others. And we can ask for the ability to boldly share his gospel with all those that we encounter. So when it comes to our prayer life, our prayer life matters. My fear is, and I've struggled with it in the past, that, that our prayer life sometimes is lacking because we just don't take the time. We don't feel like there's time there. When we remove God from it, does time really matter? Consider the fact that Scripture tells us that we are not receiving blessings that otherwise we would have because we never took time to ask. Consider that there's all 
kinds of great things happening across this country and our personal lives and the world around us because God strengthens his people and when his people ask, he provides. God gave us prayer and prayer matters. It's the strongest avenue we have to communicate with God and have him intercede in our lives. This morning, I've not spoken about the first principles. However, if you feel that you've been sufficiently taught, if you recognize the need to be a part of the body, recognize the need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, and I'm going to ask you to not put that off, but rather come forward. In turn, we have someone present that needs the services of the church. Need your church family to pray for you, recognizing that, that this is a family and that God created this church family for you. Then I'm going to ask you to come forward at this time as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. My, my.